We finish today. Uh, this was, it ended up being a seven-week series on we called sabotage uh, ways that we can um, get derailed in our life, ways that we can get derailed in our uh, faith. And on one hand, that's kind of a, ne- a negative way to look at it. You g- could preach this just the opposite, but the Bible speaks to it in a negative a lot of times that you have to be very, very careful on um, uh, the way you live your life because it is possible for us to sabotage our life and to sabotage our faith. I don't know about any of you all, but I've certainly found out in my 62 years of life that I'm my own worst enemy. And it just takes a certain degree of maturity. I wasn't able to admit that till I was 40 some odd years old because it doesn't sound too cool to stand up and say that. But most of the of stuff that has really caused me to get derailed in life, whether that was derailed spiritually or just derailed anyway, was stuff that I created and mistakes that I made on my life in my own life, sabotaged my own life. And so some of this comes out of my life and the way that I have lived and the experiences that I've gone through. We've talked about a lot of things and I'm not going to take the time to review them all, but we started the sermon series seven weeks ago. We said the fear of man can be derail your life, can sabotage your life. An unhealthy desire to please man uh, can certainly, the Bible says, can take us the wrong way in life. We said that above all else, we said we need to guard our hearts, and we spent a week on that. For the Bible says out of our hearts flow all the issues of life. It doesn't say out of our brains flow all the issues of life. It's out of our hearts because it's our hearts where our motives are, where our true intentions are. Um, we said that uh, we can sabotage your life by believing in God, but not believing God. And it's a huge, huge difference. And if you missed that message, that's an important con- Christian concept. Uh, the Bible says the devils believe and they tremble. There's a huge cavernous gap between believing in God, that there is a God, and then believing Him, taking Him at His word. We said last week that um, without discernment, without discernment, that our lives can be sabotaged. Without the ability to make good judgments in our lives, the Bible tells us that we have to judge. It tells us not to judge improperly, Matthew 7, 1, but the Bible tells us in a whole lot of places that we must make good judgments in this life between a lot of different things, a lot of different people. Without good discernment and asking God to give us that, without the ability to make good judgments, that our life can be derailed and we can sabotage our Christian life. And last week we talked through ways to do that. Now that's not all the the messages we went through, but those were some of them. And one of the big areas that we need discernment in, I mentioned it briefly last week, but I'll bear down on it this week. One of the big areas we need discernment in, possibly, and I'm not going to say this authoritatively, possibly the biggest area that our lives can be derailed, our Christian lives can be derailed, is in the choice of people that we hang out with. And I would not be an honest preacher if I finished a message on sabotage or sabotaging your walk with Jesus, sabotaging your walk with Christ, sabotaging your, even if you're an unbeliever, sabotaging your life, period. One of the best ways to sabotage that 
is to make really poor choices in your friendships. And every single one of you in here that has lived longer than 16 to 18 years would have a story of a person who led you astray. And not to be able to blame it on that person. I made that choice. I chose to hang out with that person. I jumped in the car with that person or whatever that may have been. And we all know the truth of this. But if you're anything like I was when I was a teenager, I knew this, but I hated it when my mom and dad brought it up. I knew it. I knew, I knew the truth of it. But thank you very much. I wanted to hang out with who I wanted to hang out with. Or I wasn't very good at looking down the road and seeing where consequences were going to lead me. And I didn't like it at all when my parents talked to me about this. And probably the reason I didn't like it is because I was convicted. <laughs> I, I knew what they were saying was true, though I did not want to walk in it. Okay, All parents in here have talked to your kids about who they hang around with. But this is just not a kid issue. We, we, we talk about it with our children. We, we try to talk to them about the importance of this. But this is an issue for all of us. There are a few passages of Scripture where the Bible speaks to this in a children, teen type of way. But there's many passages of Scripture. It just talks to us in a human being type of way. That as human beings, as Christians, we need to be very, very careful who we hang out with. Very, very careful who we're friends with. Now, let me define friends or attempt to define friends. Friends are the people that you allow to influence you. Friends are the people that you allow to influence you in some way. Hopefully, if we're Christian, we're friendly with everyone. We're kind and respectful to everyone. But the truth of the matter is we don't allow everyone to influence us. The truth of the matter is, we, once we learn a little bit about this, don't allow any Tom, Dick, and Harry to be able to influence us. The difficulty for younger people is they have difficulty in discerning that influencing. And we kind of, as we grow older, we've learned a little bit about that. But it's harder for all of us, and we all remember that when we're younger, to be able to be discerning on who actually is influencing us and who is not. Every now and then, something will come out of my boy's mouth that I knew wasn't from them. That I knew we didn't teach them that. Who influenced that? Where did they hear that? What person influenced that? What song influenced that? What book influenced that? What TV show influenced that? What movie influenced that? Every now and then, something will come out of one of my boys' mouth and has come out of your children's mouth that you go, wow, we didn't teach that. They haven't heard that in our home. And that's proof positive that all of our kids are influenced and friends, the people that we allow close to us, are the people that we allow to influence us. I can be friendly with someone. I can eat dinner with someone. I can uh, play softball with someone. I can go swimming with someone without allowing that person to influence me. So we're not talking about 
being a haughty person. We're not talking about self-righteousness. We're not talking about being a pharisaical person. But many times there is a very fine line here. And this is a difficult teaching and one that sometimes people may shy away with because I can sound, and some things I'm going to say today are going to sound a little haughty, and they are going to sound like you're better than someone else. And that's not the way that it's meant at all, but the Bible simply says that as Christians, we have to be very, very selective in who we choose to be friends with, who we choose to allow to influence us. We're friendly, we're respectful, we're hopefully kind to saint and sinner alike, to anyone that comes along our path. But that doesn't mean that I'm friends with everyone. And I found out that's a difficult distinction many times for young people on that. I don't know how many friends, in the way that I'm trying to define it, that you actually have. I don't think that we have too many friends in the way that I'm talking about. We have a lot of people that are friendly with us, that we're friendly to and are friendly with us, but free people that we allow to influence our life. I think last week I defined a friend as someone that will tell you the truth no matter how much it hurts you. Don't tell me that someone is your friend if they won't tell you the truth. And the reason they won't tell you the truth is because they don't want to make you mad or they don't want to lose your friendship. But there are some things that are more important than your friendship. And that's to be able to tell someone the truth even if you feel like they will maybe take it the wrong way or it will offend them in some way. Good friends. That's how you know someone is your friend. They love you enough. Now, they must do it graciously. They must do it in a respectful way. But they love you enough to say, I'm concerned about this in your life. That's how you know somebody loves you. That's how you know somebody loves you in all of that. Um, a verse that we're going to launch from, and then we'll go different places, is Proverbs 13, 20. And you've read this verse before, probably heard this verse preached to you before. I don't know who it was. I heard somebody in a seminar or I heard somebody preach a message. And I don't know who it was for the life of me, but I didn't think of this. So I'm not smart enough to think of this. So, but this verse basically says you want to look at your future, look at your friends. That's what this verse basically says. Because if you walk with the wise, you walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools, some translations will then put a but there and contrast it. For a companion of fools suffers harm. So whoever this person was that said that, if you want to sh- look at your future, look at your friends. So that's why we parents are very particular about people that our kids hang out with. We're talking to them about that. Because we know the future many times is dependent upon their close associates. Their future many times is dependent upon the people that they hang out with. Walk with the wise. Wisdom is contagious, the Bible says. Things rub off on us as friends. Things are contagious. We catch things from friends. That can be a very positive thing or that can be a negative thing. And it's just as positive or negative for a young person as it is for someone in their 40s or 50s or 60s. Be very careful, the Bible says, about who you hang around with. 
Now you would expect, go back to that verse one more time there, Amy. You would expect this verse to say something that it doesn't. Now I'll be an honest preacher and tell you that in other places of the Bible it does say this, but in this passage, it doesn't, you would expect this passage to say, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools become foolish. That's what you would expect this passage to say. Because it's the opposite of, of that there would be, there'd be contrasting proverbs there. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools becomes foolish. But that's not what it says. Now there's other verses that will allude to that and say that this rubbing off, this catching is, is, comes with foolishness as it comes with wisdom. But this verse seems, seems to say, you know, you may just hang out and you may not be their real, their close friends you may have good ulterior motives in hanging out with them many times but be careful the companion of fools suffers harm because when fools are foolish and you're in the vicinity you will get hit with the shrapnel right you will get hit with the shrapnel of their foolishness so this verse is is not necessarily saying hey you're going to become foolish i i may not May, may be mature enough not to adopt their ways, but if I choose to be in their proximity, I choose to hang out enough with them that when their foolishness gets really, really foolish, if I'm in that proximity, I'm going to get caught in the shrapnel of their foolishness. I wonder if there's someone that you know in your life or someone that you knew in your life that is not alive today because they got in the car with a bunch of foolish people. They weren't going to drink. They weren't going to be able to behave that way. They may have even had a good motive. Well, I've got to protect these people and protect, protect them from themselves even. And this verse, the reality and the truth of this verse came true. And that person may not be alive today because a companion of fools suffers harm. Or that person may be in a wheelchair today because a companion of fools suffers harm. And that when I said that in the first service, gave that illustration, I got, I got goosebumps because I know the truth of that for my boys. And my boys are not above getting in the car with the wrong person, just like your boys are not above getting in the car with the wrong person. Our, our, my boys may not even have ill intent in that. My boys may, you could say, maybe like some of your kids, may be, been a little naive to do that. But the proverb says, the truth of God's word says, a companion of fools will suffer harm. A companion of fools will suffer harm. And even though we may not be friends with them, if even in a good way we are hanging out with them and spending some in their proximity and, and maybe going along with them while they do their foolish stuff, but we're not going to do our foolish, we're not going to do anything foolish, we're going to get hit with a shrapnel from their foolishness in their life. And that's what the Bible says. Um, you want to look at your future according to God's word look at who you hang out with look at who you closely associate with look at who your friends are the people that influence you the people that are close to you now 
There's another verse that comes up, and we usually talk about, about it in, in a different kind of area, but it applies here as well. And it's not one of them verses that everybody loves. It's not one of them verses that's going to make you feel all good on the inside. In fact, this sermon is not one that's going to make you feel all good on, on the inside because this sermon is pretty much a warning to, many, to us as Christians. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we usually use that in a um, marriage counseling type of way. We usually use that in, a mar- in, in somebody you're choosing to be married, and it's absolutely applicable to that. But this verse, in its context there, does not talk about marriage. It gets interpreted that way, and I think that's a marvelous interpretation. It just plainly says, do do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, friends, that's a tough verse. Makes me feel rather self-righteous to say that verse. Makes me feel rather pharisaical to say that. Because we're supposed to love everyone. Indeed, we're supposed to love God and supposed to love our neighbor. But it says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers now we i've never i don't use that word yoked on a daily basis okay what's that word mean well that's an agricultural term and the apostle paul was getting that from deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 10 when apostle paul says don't plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together now a a yoke was a big crossbar that they used uh, and had a little loop on the end of it two animals stuck their heads into it and those two animals worked as a team and you got to plow fields together. And so God talking, laying down some law, teaching the Israelites how to be people, they says, don't yoke together two animals of different natures and expect it to go good. Don't yoke together two animals of different natures and expect them to team up and to do the job that you want them to do. Do not have two unequally yoked animals together. And then Paul comes along in the New Testament, and he he just says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Don't be yoked together with people of different values, with with, uh, different likes, with a different belief system, going in different directions in in your life. Not at all that we're talking about trying to be an influence on unbelievers well we're called in a myriad of ways to be an influence on unbelievers and we'll talk about that in just a second but in the people that you allow to to be yoked with you allow yourself to be yoked with you're teamed up together with uh, that can't be two people from different natures it can't be two people that are going in two different directions you can't yoke an ox and a donkey together nothing will get done on all of that now, how do you apply that? We've always applied it to marriage. And, and we've just shouted from the housetops as pastors that Christians have to marry Christians. And, 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 and we, we, we've struggled as pastors many times to try to make people understand that because romance becomes involved and all the feelings becomes involved. And, and that's why we've said just be very careful and even you choose to accept a date from or go out with because that leads to something. But how else, what else does this yoking mean? Does that mean business transactions? Does that mean entering into some kind of a contract with? 
Does that mean uh, some kind of friendships as we're talking about today? I've had people talk to me about political parties before. Does that have to do with that? When a biblical understanding of a yoking is, is something that you are, you are at least some kind of a semi-permanent arrangement with. Okay, those animals can't get out of that easily. So, what, so how do you determine if you're, if, if you're in a yoked situation? Well, first of all, it's something you, you cannot get out of easily. I don't know if that's a signature on a contract or whatever that may be. But it's, it's, it's something that you can't get out of easily. As those, as those animals, our heads are stuck in that, and it takes some kind of a farmer to come and lift that crossbar off and make them unyoked. They can't get out of that themselves. And also, that yoking is something that no longer allows independent action. Listen to that. That yoking for those animals, it doesn't, it doesn't allow independent action because if those animals want to go independently, you got no plowing going on. They have to work together. So if I'm yoked with somebody, I, I'm into some kind of situation that doesn't allow independent action. That is not easily gotten out of. Now, I'm not going to take the time to try to define all that, and I don't even know if I know the ways to define all of that. But you are yoked with someone, biblically, trying to be as biblical as we can be, you are yoked with someone, if you're in a situation you can't get out of easily or denies independent action on your part. Now, that, that certainly could be a business relationship where, where you, you can't get out of it unless he signs you out of it or you can't do something unless she okays it. Or, and that could be difficult for a believer that has different values, different beliefs, going in different directions, and you can't, and, and, and you, you can't have independent action because everything my partner has to agree with everything that I do. Now, that can be very tough. And you know what it ends up? Is one of the two, one of the two has to compromise if you're going to stay in the relationship. And, 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 and the Christian compromising on their Christian values, their Christian beliefs, the direction that they're going in their life can be a very dangerous thing, and it can, the word is, sabotage your Christian life. Yoked is an old word. Yoked is an old-fashioned word. Yoked is not a cool word. I get all of that. I totally get all of that. But if you try to go back to see what the Bible meant by yoking, admit that you're in some kind of a situation that you can't get out of easily, and it does not allow independent action. Your action is determined upon another's. Their action, which could even be a scarier thing here, friends, their action is not... You, you can't get away from their action as well. So their weird stuff that they may do is going to affect you as well. Do not be unequally yoked with someone that is not going your direction in life. Do not get into any kind of arrangement that you can't get out of easily if something goes wrong. Do not get into any kind of a situation that doesn't allow you your independent thought. And your thought is dependent on someone else's here. Your action is dependent on someone else's here. And that's why we've always applied it to marriage, which is the ultimate expression of this. But I think it could be applied to a lot of different people. And I'm not going to sit up here and tell you what this means for you in your life. Because if you're sensitive 
if you're sensitive to God's Holy Spirit, he could be talking about something right now. A yoking that should not be there. See why I feel weird about this? I don't want to be self-righteous. I'm not better than anyone else. I, I, I don't want to be haughty. But I cannot, I cannot back away from the biblical truth that if I choose wrong friends, my life can be sabotaged. I can't, I'm a coward. I may not be a cool preacher by preaching this, and I know this, but I would be a coward if I didn't preach what is right there at the very top of the things that can sabotage us. When I became a Christian, it wasn't until I was 34. Now, I think honestly, I'll just be honest with you, at 34, it was probably a little easier for me. I had some degree of maturity. I had some degree of backbone. I had some degree of self-esteem. And it was easier for me to create space. It wasn't the easiest thing in the world, but it was easier for me at 34 to create space than it would have been if I became a Christian at age 14. I can get that. But I had to, even at 34, I had to create space between some people in my life. I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't have the first Christian friend. And I knew enough about the Christian life. I had a Christian upbringing. So I had all this base of knowledge that I had to pull upon that I knew that if I was going to live for Jesus, I had to create space. I didn't say I had to turn my back on. You didn't hear me say that, and I didn't. I didn't say that I was rude to them, and I wasn't. But I had to create space. You get me? Now, creating space probably means one thing for Mark, and it means another thing for you all. I had to create space. Why did you have to create space? Because I knew that if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to walk with Jesus the way he's called me to walk with him. I knew, especially as a new Christian, an immature Christian, that I wasn't strong enough in the faith to do it. That I wasn't strong enough in the faith to be able to say no to the things that I should say no of yet. So I needed to create that buffer. I needed to create that space. That wasn't the easiest thing in the world, and I'm sure that that was misinterpreted by some of my friends, <clears throat> and they probably thought, well, now Mark's a Christian, and he's better than us. I think that's a chance you have to take. God knows your heart. Your friends do not. Your friends do not. God knows your heart. When it's time to create space. Hey, I didn't say turn my back on. You didn't hear me say that. Create space. Now, there's lots of different, Bible talks about lots of different people that we're supposed to avoid in the Bible. And even when I say those words, it makes me feel legalistic or pharisaical. But it's, it's the truth. The Bible says as Christians who want all of God that you can possibly get, who want to walk in his fullness, 
that, that, that there, there are situations, there are people that you need to avoid in your life. And let me talk real quickly about four of these and then we're done today. The Bible says to avoid friendships with those who are bad influences on you. And that's kind of a duh because that's kind of what I've been saying for the last 15 minutes. The verse I'm going to anchor that in is Proverbs 1.10. And this is Solomon speaking to his son. And he says, my son, if sinful men entice you, do not. If sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Now let me say something that's, I haven't said too much as a dad. And I don't think we say too much from the pulpit. I don't think we teach too much as Christians but I think needs to be said to be honest. We talk about sin and we say it's bad and it's evil and you need to avoid it, okay? But the truth about sin, it's enticing. Especially if you're young in the faith. There would be no temptation to sin if there was not something in that sin that was enticing to me. Young or old, young or old, at 62 years old, I don't battle with the same temptations that I used to battle with, okay? I battle with some, but I don't battle with the same ones. But the ones that I battle with, there's still something that entices me. And so I've told you before, we've got to pray against our hot buttons. We've got to pray, God, I don't want that to even be a temptation. Would you take that enticement away from me because if the apple didn't look good there would have been no temptation there if the apple wasn't wouldn't have been good for food and pleasing to the eye what temptation would there have been there the saboteur is smart enough not to to throw or show a rotten apple with a worm sticking out of it to eat right he showed one that looked good he showed one that was good for the food and pleasing to the eye i think somehow parents we have to help our children help our young adults help us to know to discern that sin just isn't those really horrible things like murder there's a lot of sin that the devil will use that looks really good And we have to be discerning enough to know that everything that looks like gold is not. And that comes. That comes as a gift of God's Holy Spirit. That comes through maturity. That comes with, with young people trusting mom and dad enough to listen to mom and dad. comes in a myriad of different ways. Avoid friendships with the type of people that will influence you. Not, in, not, not avoid being friendly. Not avoid being friendly. Not avoid going to the pool with. Not avoid shooting 18 holes of golf with. That's not what I'm talking about. Avoid friendships with people that will influence you in the wrong way direction well what's the wrong direction well anyway anyway that gives you any type of temptation to compromise on your christian walk 
any way that gives you any type of temptation to compromise on your Christian walk or, or to, to lower the bar of whatever you feel like Jesus is working with you on Christian integrity. The Bible says avoid those kind of people. I think, I don't have this verse up there, but I think it's 1 Corinthians 15.33. I think it says um, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. It rubs off on us, at least it can. So be careful. The Bible speaks very clearly as well in more places than just the verse I'm going to show you in just a second. But the Bible says to avoid friendships with those who are quick-tempered people. Now we all have become angry and we all have quote lost our temper but there are some people who are quick-tempered I think it's fascinating in the Hebrew if you really would translate it literally as you can it this verse talks about people with flaring nostrils <laughs> literally avoid friendships with those who are quick-tempered people who are those with quick-tempered well, they, they, they don't have much self-control, I would assume, they, which is a fruit of God's Holy Spirit. They would be people who decide um, who their emotions, they wear their emotions right on the, their sleeve, and that's not a positive thing. We have to think through our emotions, and we can't act emotional because many times when I act emotionally, I'll do something wrong. I have to let my head come over my emotions. I've told you a hundred times, when I'm hungry, I can be very irritable. I can be very irritable. But my head has to overcome that feeling of irritability when I'm hungry. Now, that's a small example that can be exponentially explained in different ways. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Hot-tempered person is that flaring of the nostrils. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who is easily angered. And why is that the case, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived? And that's the next verse. Verse 25 says, Or you may learn their ways. Because not only is wisdom contagious, foolishness can be contagious as well. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. While the verse that we started with today says a companion of fools won't become foolish, it says a companion of fools will suffer harm, this verse says if you hang out, with quick-tempered people who in other places the Bible calls foolish, you will learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Friends, I'm, I'm trying to tell you today something that doesn't make any of us stand up and, and, and holler, doesn't make any of us feel really great about our Christian life. It's just an admonition. It's just a warning. It's just as much truth as God's Word as John 3.16 is. That if you're going to live your Christian life to the degree that the Bible calls you to, to the degree that God has called you to, for the reason that Jesus died for you. It's just not that you would be forgiven and slip into the back door of heaven, but that you would have your life transformed. 
And if you want to allow the grace of God and the Holy Spirit to do all that he can do in your life, there are people in your life, and I don't know who they are. You know who they are. There are people in your life that you may need to create space from. But Mark, I get all the buts. I know it. That's, Mark, that's easy for you up here. You're not in high school anymore. I get that. And it's harder to be in high school in 2021 than it was in 1974, 5, and 6, like I was. I get that. I get all the buts. I'm with you on all the buts. But I care more about God's word than I do about whatever the buts may be. There are people. You know who they are. Not my job to tell you who they are. If you want to come talk to me, let me pass an opinion, I'll pass an opinion. But it's just an opinion. You know who they are. God's Holy Spirit talks to you about that. You get that feeling. You get that vibe. You have to create space. But if you're as dumb as I was when I was a kid, I didn't want to create space. On my best day, I wanted to see how close I could get to the line without going over. Right, right here? We did, didn't we? That was me on a good day. That was me on a good day. How, how, how close, Harold, can I get? I'm not going to cross it. But I think we all know, whether we do it or not, we all know the wisdom of creating space. Two more things and we're going home. Avoid friendships with those who... Um, are legends in their own mind. It's really, really good to have a healthy self-esteem. I think that's good. We hear a lot of talk about self-esteem, and there's something to that. You, you shouldn't go around with your head between your legs. I know all of that, and that's exactly right. But be careful about hanging around people that are always right. Be careful about hanging around people that have an opinion about everything and their opinion is right. Be careful about hanging around people who think highly, highly of themselves. I think Mark's opinion, I don't know if I have a chapter and verse to go tag this to, but Mark's opinion, I think I became wiser in my life when I started to have a healthy disrespect for my own wisdom. And knew that I was indebted to the wisdom that God could give me. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not such a great guy that I've earned it. I, 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 I don't have such a great degree. And by, I am what I am by my Master of Divinity degree. I am what I am because I've been a pastor for 25 years. I am by what I am by the grace of God. And it's worked out in my life that the older, and I hope, more mature I've gotten in the faith, I look at God's Word sometimes and say, man, I don't know anything about this. I, 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 I look at God's Word sometimes and say, I'm amazed at all the stuff in this that I'm ignorant of. And I hope, I hope, that's a sign that I don't think too 
highly of myself and that God, whatever I am, is because God has given me. I've told you before that when my dad got his cancer diagnosis, sitting in a hotel room in Lexington, Kentucky, on his, sitting on his bed, and I was on the other bed, and Dad said, you know, as he got his diagnosis, and we knew that it was terminal, and Dad said, uh, well, whatever I've had good in my life is because of the grace of God in my life. He didn't say, well, I've worked really hard. Kept my nose to the grindstone, which my dad did. There's a certain wisdom for people that don't think too highly of themselves. The verse is Proverbs chapter 26. What's that verse say up here, Amy? Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There's even more hope for a fool. There's even more hope for a fool than for them. Create space. Go play 18 holes of golf with them. Go to Kings Island with them. Uh, go to Applebee's with them. Sit in church beside them. But as far as being a friend, a person that you allow to feed into your life, that you allow to influence you, probably you ought to create space. Now, let me finish with something that's very difficult to say, and I've saved the most difficult thing for last. Because as we become Christians, we, and we create space, we, we are instructed by pastors and Christian friends to find a church and find friends in your church and new friendships and people that are on the same road as you are, and that is absolutely true. But the Apostle Paul says very plainly, <laughs> very plainly, to avoid professing Christians who live an unrepentant, sinful life. Didn't get an amen on that one, Harold. Let's say. I didn't say avoid Christians who sin. Avoid Christians who live in sin. Unrepentant Christian life. Those Christians that, that simply say that, uh, you know, I'm waving my flag to heaven and I'm forgiven and I can just sin, God's forgive, and we can go on and get this deal going. Paul says, avoid those people. Avoid those people. I don't want that type of theology to rub off on you. I don't want that type of teaching to rub off on you. Because if there's anything that God's Word says, that with forgiveness also comes newness. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. And the old, now that's, for, for most of us, that's not like a, got saved one day and the next day all of that is changed in my life a lot of people it takes a while for that to work out some people i had a lot of newness but i needed a lot of newness i mean i needed newness lickety split man and god knew that but paul tells us to avoid professing christians who live unrepentant 
who just live in it and won't listen to anybody, won't listen to you, won't listen to their pastor, won't listen, most importantly, to what God's Word says, will go around and find some kind of teacher that will allow them to live in that kind of sin and be comfortable with it? Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter, and this must have been a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that uh, was lost. We have two letters, but he wrote, and it must have been some letter that it did not get included in the canon of Scripture. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now listen to this. Not at all meaning the people of this world. Because in that case, you'd have to leave the world. So not at all meaning unbelievers. Because we have to, in some way, influence unbelievers. We have to associate in some way with them. We can't turn our back on those. But he says in the next verse, let's look what he says. But I'm now writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler. Look at the last seven words. Other places in Scripture, other places in Scripture, it would say the reason we don't even eat with those people is to bring them to repentance. If they constantly, according to the Apostle Paul, according to Matthew, if, if they constantly accepted by the church with no kind of caution on their teaching, then they will stay in their sinful life. That's tough teaching, friends. And I don't know a single one of us, me included, that obey it. I pastored a lady one time that had five kids out of wedlock. Claiming to be a Christian all the way through. Now how was I supposed to deal with that? Without sounding self-righteous, haughty, pharisaical. I would not be an honest pastor if I didn't tell you today that the Bible says that one of the type of friendships that we're to avoid are friendships with professing Christians who unrepentantly live a sinful life. Unrepentantly live a sinful life. Who live in it and will accept no correction either from God's Holy Spirit or from a pastor or anyone. Bible says, I'm sorry. The Bible says, don't even eat with such people. And yes, to hopefully correct them in their ways, but also be careful that that kind of teaching, theology, lifestyle doesn't rub off on you because that is antithetical to what God's Word teaches. It's tough. It's tough. I know it is. And nobody's going to come up to me afterwards and say, real great message, Pastor. I know that. It's tough. But I hope you accept the truth of it. That there are some people in life that if we don't create space, it can sabotage our Christian life. Some of you, Young person, older single person, 
there may be a dating situation where you need to create space. And it seems like to me it's hard to create space in a dating situation and still date the person. (laughs) Some of you, just in a friendship situation, they do not spur you on to love and good deeds, as the Bible says. They do not spur you on to loving Jesus more. I wonder if you need to create space. There may be some people that have some type of a partner in employment or work or business or somebody. I don't know what it is, and I have no one in mind. But you know that partnership is a yoking that could compromise your Christian faith. And do you need to? Do you need to create space? And some parents may need to have difficult conversations with your children that you love so much you'll make them mad and talk to them. It's hard for you to create space for them. But talk to them about the wisdom of creating space. Heard a story. I think it was Andy Stanley, the pastor that I listened to a lot. And he told a story several years ago. I don't know if it was in a message that I heard on on computer or if he was in a seminar or something. But he he told a story of a, a girl that was pitching in a softball game. And her mother was working a concession stand. And the, the girlfriend's, the, 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 the daughter's boyfriend was there behind the backstop watching her pitch. And the girl said she saw her mom come out of the concession stand and go to that boyfriend that mom didn't approve of. And took that boyfriend behind the concession stand. And that girl later said, I knew she, what she was doing. Said she was breaking up for me. Now, I don't necessarily recommend that. (laughs) Or maybe there's some situations that are so drastic you need to do that. I don't know. The whole thing I'd like for you to remember as you leave today. So your Christian life will not be sabotaged. Are there people that you need to create space? And let God's Holy Spirit tell you who those people are. We close each Sunday with communion. And we talk about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And as I've tried to say a little bit today, that that power of the blood of Jesus not only forgives us, but allows us to leave a transformed life. And leading that transformed life is a lot easier sometimes after space has been created. So we take our wafer and we break it and we say that Jesus died for a full, fully committed relationship with him, not just so I can slip myself into the back door of heaven, whatever that means. But he said on the night before he's betrayed, he took 
bread and he broke it and said, this is my body that's been given for you. Would you do this in remembrance of me? And the Bible says after supper, he took the cup. So this is the cup of the new covenant that's in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in memory of me. Father, this was a tough one, and um, I don't feel like jumping up and down after I preached it. But your truth is, can be sharp sometimes. Sharper than a two-edged sword. And if I'm going to be honest, I can't shy away from those parts of your scripture that can hurt us. Father, I don't want anyone to misunderstand today. And we're not to turn our back on unbelievers. We just not allow them to influence us, to enter into yoked relationships with them. We want to be the influencers, not the influencees. Give us all, young and old, discernment to make good judgments about who we're yoked with, who we're associated with, who our friends are. May you be Lord of our friendships. Your word seems to tell us that as Christians we can't be friends with everyone. Would you be Lord of our friendships? Would you talk to us about that and give us the grace to obey you when we hear you talking? In Jesus' name, amen.